Tonight at Ground Zero Ministries, we're going to continue going through the, the, the Bible teaching. And tonight's uh, message is on the book of Galatians. Uh, Paul wrote this letter to Galatia, which is kind of an area kind of similar to like the Mohawk Valley. So it would have been sent to maybe one specific church, but then circulated through the area. So everybody would have got a copy of it or it would have been passed on as they read it and, and whatnot. So there's a number of churches in this area that needed to hear what Paul was trying to, to say. And Paul at this point was kind of frustrated with what was going on in the region. Um, Christianity began as a Jewish you know, religion that the Messianic movement came up out of it. You know, and so there was some old Jewish customs and traditions that, you know, would, would rest and, and follow along. But just as most of us are not Jewish in here, if there is any of us, that we didn't grow up that way. However, some of us grew up in traditional Christian homes and we've been healing from that ever since. <clears throat> You know, some of us grew up in more strict religious homes, and we've struggled with God since we were little. Some of us may have grown up outside of that, and we've come to know Jesus, and things have been pretty cool ever since. You know, there's a lot of things that get tricky when you try to force the old into the new. You know, and because of God's salvation message was for all of us, you know, that we would be considered Gentiles because we were not Jewish, so that there was Jewish Christians and then there was Gentile Christians. And there is a little bit of problem sometimes in between the two of them. Because the Jewish Christians thought that they should do things a certain way. And the Gentile Christians say, no, I don't think I need to do that. And so there was this problematic stuff that was going on in the region. And it quickly began to spread, you know, in, in various ways. You know, originally... You know, the message of a risen Christ came out of Israel and started to travel through Asia Minor into, you know, Greece, Rome, Spain, you know, and northern parts of Africa. You know, so it was spreading and it was spreading quickly. But as Paul is as a missionary, he was going into certain places for a certain amount of time and trying to to bring people to the knowledge that there is a risen Christ and there is salvation for them, whether they're a Jew or a Gentile, and teach them as much as he could in a short amount of time, and then he would leave them in charge and move on to the next area and do the same. So there was a lot of these little churches, and there was a lot of bigger churches and bigger cities, and there's a lot of stuff going on with not a lot of maturity in their understanding of you know Scripture because there wasn't really... A New Testament written at this point, you know, so they were still basing everything on Old Testament scriptures and this new relationship with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit. So things could get weird quick, as most of us have experienced a weird Christian that follows the Holy Spirit around. You know, it, it can get a little nuts sometimes, you know. Anyway, you know, so Paul is writing this to try to bring some correction to some of these areas you know, that we're getting out of control, you know, and Paul is talking about God's people, you know, that typically it came out of one ethnic group, 
you know, that they were considered the Hebrews, you know, they were sons of Abraham, you know, and then, you know, they were Israel, and then they were the tribe of Judah, and because they shortened the tribe of Judah to Jews, so Judah turned into Jews, and that's why we all call them Jews today, is because it's really, you know, a breakdown of, you know, these words that made it easier to say, rather than saying the tribe of Judah, you just say, you know, the Jews. And it wasn't really a demeaning term, although it, it can be today, you know, in the sense that if we were to really, you know, start harping on things, you know, things can get out of control pretty quickly because our tongues are wonderful. Anyway, <clears throat> you know, that the Jews believed that they were supposed to be set apart from the, the practices of, you know, the Gentiles in idol worship. However, these Gentiles are coming into, you know, understanding of who Jesus is and getting saved, but it was still a little messy. So there's the Jewish Christians who are trying to command them to start applying Jewish Torah laws to their lives, you know, that they needed to be circumcised, that all the men needed to be circumcised. Now here in America, most of us, you know, that's been taken care of when we were little kids. Now there's Europeans that are coming over here that don't have that practice. You know, it's a normal practice in America, but it's not a normal practice really anywhere else in the world. You know, but the Jews felt that that's what set them apart. So they were demanding that, you know, anybody that believed that they were, you know, a Christian needed to be circumcised and they needed to eat kosher and they needed to observe the Sabbath. You know, and there was all these Jewish Christians that were trying to force the Gentiles to behave like Jews. You know, and this truly became to be this big feud in God's family. That they weren't obeying the laws of Moses. That the Torah was important to obey. You know, so these Jewish Christians began to become Judaizers. You know, and some say that the thorn in Paul's flesh that we read about that he prayed three times to have removed could potentially have been the Judaizers because wherever he went, it always he was having these feuds and these conflicts with, you know, Jewish Christians that were trying to come through and get, you know, people to be, you know, more Jewish than Christians. However, you know, in these Galatian churches that they began to demanding that all Gentile Christians begin to obey the laws of Moses. So Paul was, when he found out all this was going on, he was kind of brokenhearted and angry because that this letter is addressing these Jews and these Gentiles and what's going on in Galatia at that time. But it's similar to Christians now. You know, that somebody get, becomes saved, and then the older Christians tell them all the rules that they're supposed to follow. Any of us any good at practicing rules? Because the last I knew that if there's rules, we tend to normally break them. Everyone's giggling because we're a bunch of sinners in this group. But anyway, you know that Christians tend to, to make certain points to try to force other Christians to follow certain rules. You know, and it's the same thing that's happened in 2,000 years ago, except for it was the 
the Jews that were enforcing the Old Testament. You know, and Paul's trying to explain that the gospel, you know, is what Jesus is doing to set them all free. And that it's not about, you know, the old laws and it's not about the rules. Because the gospel is the only thing that can truly transform someone's heart. But it's not about obeying these rules or these laws. It's about the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit in someone's life. You know, that we believe that we are regenerated. You know, that we were once one way, something happened, and now we're someone new. That we're a new creation in Christ. That there's a transformation in our heart. That, you know, even when we've tried to obey the rules, we've fallen short time and time and time again. Some of us, you know, we've been in the church and we're trying to behave ourselves and every once in a while we slip up. And it's like I can't ever achieve freedom because we we make the rules more important than getting ourselves in God's presence and allowing Him to begin to change our mind and our hearts. And, you know, and it still happens today and we still get frustrated with it today because we don't necessarily know how to get into a deeper relationship with this invisible God that we say is Jesus Christ and that the Holy Spirit is is here with us now. And it's like if you would just give me rules, I could follow them. You know, I want the behavioral modification. It's so much easier. You know, but Paul is stating that that this is that they're preaching a different gospel. You know, this demand on new Christians to become circumcised or to obey the Torah is wrong and for all sorts of reasons. Since it's a betrayal of the gospel that because people are not being justified by their works of the Torah, but they're putting their faith in Christ who is the Messiah, who is the only one that can transform us, and that's by His grace that we put our trust in Jesus and what is true for Him becomes true for us. That His life, death, and resurrection becomes our new life, death of the old man, and the new person becomes born again. You know, that Paul is stating that he has been crucified with Christ. He's been crucified with the Messiah. That it's not I that comes back to life. That it's Christ living in me that comes back to life. So now that I live, I live by faith and faith alone in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself as a sacrifice for my sins. You know, and there's so many Christians that don't understand this. Even today, it's like, I'm going to church. Are you saved? Well, yeah, I'm a good person. Well, no, I'm not a good person. I need a Savior. You know, and... We, we've learned to put on our masks. Praise God. Hallelujah, brother. Like, when someone comes at me like that, the first thing I do is like, nope. I'm not going down that road. It takes me months to get through the praise you Lord, hallelujah, brother, to get to the real person. Because the mask is so strong that it's not safe to be who I really am, so I let you know how holy I am. You know, and we've all run into those Christians, and they're really hard to interact with. Because the deepest conversation that we can have is about the weather of the Yankees. You know, and we have perfect church attendance. Check the box. 
you know, and it's like, I don't know how to interact with you because I know that this isn't who you really are. And I don't want to spend the time to figure out who you are because you're already driving me nuts. So I can't imagine what the rest of this relationship is going to turn into. You know, and, you know, for some of us, you know, we've, we have, you know, this discernment on steroids is what I call it. It's street smarts mixed with some Holy Spirit that we, we start our little, you know, antenna go off. You know, Pastor Rick used to call it the spidey sense. You know, that we pick stuff up real quick where other people don't see it or don't sense it. We're like, boom, something's wrong with that person. And it's what kept us safe when we we're sinning. You know, it kept us safe when we were in places we shouldn't have been. It kept us safe when we were out past curfew. It kept us safe when we were doing a whole lot of stuff that we shouldn't have been doing. And we did a lot of it. And we did it twice, three times, four, kept on going. You know, and this is the the thing that helped me come to the realization that there must be some sort of God out there because I should be dead. You know, but then in my own effort, my life is still out of control. You know, and following rules has never worked for me. You know, the second you give me a set of rules, I'm trying to find my way to get around it. You know, and then, you know, I I put on the happy face for the man, whoever that might be. And then I find the other people that are going to try to break the rules with me. And me and them are buddy-buddy instantly because we can connect to the fact that we don't do rules. So the fact that this is going on in the church 2,000 years ago, and the same stuff happens today. You know, we have a hard time integrating into religious situations. However, I find it really easy to walk up to people that don't know Jesus, that are jacked up as, as much as you can possibly imagine, and just carry on a conversation, and it's not that big of a deal. Why? Because we're already past the walls and the masks. We can just be who we really are. You know, so, you know, Paul is trying to get to the root of the situation and saying that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And I would say that that's not the way it's supposed to be for us either. You know, that, you know, for me, I was so broken that when I started trying to figure out this Jesus stuff, I had no time for religion. Like, I'm not even trying to obey the rules. Like, you're telling me this Jesus person is going to change my life, and then he wants to, to heal me beyond my understanding, that he loves me in spite that I don't love him back, that he wants to forgive me even though I don't believe I can be forgiven. You know, and they're telling me that the answers are in this book, I just got to read it. And I'm like, man, they got to make a movie of this thing, because it's like really thick. But anyway. As I began to read it, things started jumping off the page. You know, and if you've been around me enough, I always tell you, you gotta take everything you think you know and you put it on the shelf. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church, it doesn't matter how much you've read the Bible, it doesn't matter how much you, you believe or don't believe. When you're in that position where it's like something needs to change, you gotta put it all on the shelf and, and start back at the basics and who's Jesus to you? It's not who's Jesus according to the church. It's not who's Jesus according to the religion because I'm a Christian. It's not who's Jesus because my mama told me so. 
I have to figure out who's Jesus and how that affects me personally and how I build this relationship with this Jewish carpenter who's dead but not really. That he's alive but he ascended and he came back again and he messes with me all the time. Like, how does that work? You know, and the more I try to put rules around that, it still doesn't work. And the more that it's this organic thing that I pursue and I begin to, to be, get frustrated and I, you know, get, you know, this place where I, I'm so eager to move forward but can't understand it, but yet I'm still trying, it's because I'm not trying to follow the rules or, or just go through the motions that this is how I'm supposed to play church, that I begin to dive into trying to communicate with who Christ is that he, they tell me that he's reading my thoughts. Well, if he's reading my thoughts, then he must be a sinner because I got some bad thoughts. You know, if, you know, he's in my heart, that he turned my heart of stone to a heart of flesh, and I can just think things and talk to him, that turns into prayer. That we've made prayer this hard dialogue, that we have these certain prayers that we're supposed to pray in the morning or at night, or someone told us that we're supposed to read these pages in a book, that's not how we have real relationships. That I need to go to him and say, I'm really, really pissed off with a lot of funny languages hooked to that, and say, I don't know how to do this. I need your help. You know, and then we take the next step. You know, most of us, you know, have a lot of junk in here. You know, and many, many years ago, as I'm trying to figure this out, I wanted to run away every other day. Like, I did not want to sit still because I was extremely uncomfortable. All my coping mechanisms are being stripped away. And I'm trying to, to, to figure out this Jesus stuff in the context of a church with a bunch of people that I don't feel comfortable around and trying to build this relationship with this invisible guy. I felt like I was losing my mind. Absolutely thought I was crazy. There is times that I'm sitting in the church and I just wish one of my friends would somehow say, I'm going to get Tom, and they would just drive and pick me up and say, dude, come on. And I would get in the car and then snap back into reality. Because the idea of me in church pursuing Jesus was completely foreign to me, and I thought I was nuts. You know, that I never thought that I would ever be this born-again Christian. You know, and I say it all the time, like, if you were to tell me that this is what I would be doing about 15 years ago, it would have been a very interesting conversation. But anyway, you know, that as we grow in this understanding of who Jesus is, that it's not about the rules anymore. It's about this relationship that we have. But when Paul left and, you know, left them with an understanding of the gospel that they're saved by what Christ has done, not by their works, and then someone else comes along and says, well, you're doing it wrong, but they're new at this, so they began to to be influenced by the religious people in that area. You know, so Paul is writing them that it's about obeying Jesus not just obeying the law. You know, and that if we obey Jesus, we're technically, we are obeying the law, but it's not about the rules 
that it's about this new relationship that's starting to happen as we converse with the Spirit. You know, that Jesus died to fulfill God's promises and deal with our sin. You know, and that if we're pushing laws, traditions, circumcision, you know, obeying the Sabbath, and a variety of other things that they were trying to force on these new Christians, that their freedom that they've really gained is lost because then they're back into the old system that hasn't worked, you know, all these years. So freedom is gained for us through Jesus alone, and that it's a gift from the Spirit, and that God begins to, to fulfill His promises through us, that the blessing isn't just to one ethnic family, that Jesus is transforming us through His presence by the Spirit. And this is the key, that the laws are good. They are wise. And they can all be summarized by loving God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and loving our neighbor as we would love ourselves. And Paul goes in to start talking about Abraham. And he starts getting everybody's attention. Because everyone's a big Abraham fan. But Abraham wasn't a Jew. And the Torah hadn't even been written yet. So Abraham was justified by his faith in Yahweh that it wasn't about obeying the rules because the rules hadn't been created yet. So he's trying to help them to understand that God's trying to get back to the original, you know, plan that it's, you know, justification through faith, that it's not, you know, necessarily all the rules that we're supposed to follow. You know, so even though the rules are good. But he's also pointing out that even in your best attempts to obey the rules all these years, you've fallen short and missed the mark how many times? You know, and Paul's telling them, like, we have to get back to just having this, you know, faith in God and that we're justified by what Christ has done. You know, he didn't give Israel, you know, the power to obey. That's the funny part that he gave them the law, but yet they didn't have the spirit, so they didn't have the ability to obey the law. So it's tricky. Because the law was necessarily a magnifying glass upon them to show them they needed a Savior. That it was to help them to see that no matter how hard they tried to be good, they still missed it. And that they needed someone to be that ultimate sacrifice to pay the price that brought them in connection relationship with God. You know, and that is the good news, that Jesus fulfilled the law on our behalf, and now He lives in us through the Spirit, making us into new creations that fulfills the law, and that we need to go forth loving others. You know, and that our old nature produces you know, idolatry and envy and division and hate and murder and sexual immorality, that it's basic selfishness and everything that we do because everything that we do is selfish in nature and it destroys relationships with people even when we're trying to be good. Because we always have our own initiative and our own, you know, plan that we try to mix in there. You know, and it's only this death on the cross so that when a person trusts in Jesus, that he lives 
by relying on Jesus and his life becomes our life and that the fruit of the Spirit are produced out of this because Jesus is produced out of us. You know, and it, it's interesting that Galatians 5 is, is one one of my favorite chapters because it, it's like splits right down the middle. Like if you're behaving this way, then you don't have Jesus. But if you're behaving this way, then you should be having these things coming out of you. You know, and we know it as the fruits of the Spirit. But if we read the beginning of that chapter, it shows us of all the stuff that we used to do and hopefully aren't doing anymore. And if we're still participating in some of those things in the beginning of that chapter, it says that we're still an enemy of God. You know, and one of those things is sexual immorality. You know, and a lot of Christians really struggle with this area in their life. You know, as many of us have. But, you know, what I've learned, it was my primary addiction. You know, drugs and alcohol, yeah, I did a lot of them. But you dig that, you know, down into who Tom really is, and you see that one of my first addictions, if not my primary addiction, was sex. You know, in various forms. And then you dig under that and you see all my dysfunctional relationships, which I would say is all the codependent stuff that I was taught as a kid. And I have to relearn how to have relationships with people. And because all my relationships are jacked up, I began to use sex as a coping mechanism. And when that got out of control, I began to numb myself with drugs and alcohol. And when that got out of control, I just kept going and going and going and going. You know, so for me, that this kind of shows us that it, it's not about being perfect. Like, it's not about the rules. I should be attempting to lay these things down at Jesus' feet and say, I want freedom in this area. If I'm openly running and gunning in some of these areas and saying, oh, well, I'm a believer, the Bible has some other things to say. You know, and it's important for us to repent. You know, that we need to come to God and say, I'm a sinner. Every one of us sin today. It's not a new thing. We did it yesterday. We'll do it tomorrow. We'll do it before we go to bed tonight. I promise. So why? Because that's what the Bible says we are. We're sinners. You know, do I sin less today than I did a while ago? Absolutely. But I still sin. It's not about me being perfect. It's not about me trying to put the mask forward that says that I'm perfect. And once I can throw that away and just be Tom, that my identity is in Christ, and I'm working on my salvation through fear and trembling, that I'm being sanctified, that I'm a far better Christian man, person, than I was even a few years ago, going back 10 years, going back to when I first got saved, going back to my mid-20s, I was a complete lunatic. Absolutely out of control. That if you were to somehow be able to time travel, and we could go pick up Tom... It would be completely vast difference. Yes. And to be honest, the same is for every one of us in this room. On some level, we are very different than we were even a short amount of time ago. You know, the first time that we got introduced to Jesus and we look at who we are now, we should see a vast difference. 
You know why? Because Jesus is working on us. You know, he, he's working on some of these things. Do they all come out? Do we, we get perfect? We wish that was the case. That we could just be like, boom, transformed in Jesus' name. That we don't ever have to struggle. We're never going to have temptation to sin. We're never going to make mistakes. That we can just go through life being good little Christians. But that's not reality. We have to, to learn how to have this relationship with Jesus and depend on His Word and depend on the Holy Spirit to, to guide us through life. How do we do that? Many, many years ago, when I first got saved, I thought I was absolutely going crazy with this Jesus stuff. Not in a good way. Because now, there's all these extra voices going on in my head. Do you hear voices? No, absolutely not. But I definitely was hearing voices. And it was confusing and scary for me. Because it's like, okay, I've accepted Jesus, now I'm losing my mind. If I tell people what's actually going on in my head, they're going to institutionalize my And I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Because there's this old familiar voice that's trying to get me to get high again. And let's go hang out with this girl. And let's go do this. Oh, you don't need to go to church. Oh, that's not that big of a deal. Very familiar, which I thought was my voice. But then all of a sudden I have this new voice of... Tom in the middle. And then there's this other voice that's telling me to do a bunch of stuff I don't want to do, but actually it's like guiding me in this new way. It's very unfamiliar and I don't like it. But yet, I'm kind of keep getting dragged in that direction. And yet, there's this other voice that keeps attacking that voice, and there's me in the middle trying to figure out which one I'm supposed to listen to. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And, you know, talking to someone that I trusted about the crazy that was going on in my head, and they're like, well, that's spiritual warfare. I'm like, what is that? What's spiritual warfare? Well, the enemy attacks you when you get saved. I'm like, what? No one says that. Where was that memo? Because I would have probably said, no, no, Jesus. I don't need any more problems in my life. Salvation is amazing. Jesus is great. But there comes this wave of craziness that follows. Because we've been playing for the opposite team for a long, long time. That we've been serving the enemy without even really realizing it because we thought we were serving ourselves and we were being influenced by the enemy. Now, some people say the enemy, you know, the devil made me do it. I absolutely don't believe in that. I believe that I'm like a wind-up toy. That at one point the devil maybe influenced me, but I was pretty freely able to sin as a little kid. I was good at it and did it a lot. So I think that at some point, my sin nature got wound up, and I just programmed myself in that direction. The devil did not attack me. Now, was the enemy around me at certain times? Sure. Was I influenced by the enemy at certain times? Did I do some despicable things at certain times? Absolutely. But I think the devil has way bigger fish to fry than me, even though I was causing a lot of problems. But I was doing a pretty good job on my own. I don't think I needed the devil's help. Just my opinion. Now, all of a sudden, I decide to switch teams, and the enemy's like, wait a minute, I just lost one of my soldiers. Now, I'm going to go get him, and I'm going to make this little transition a little bit harder than, and try to drag him back. And many of us have been like, Jesus is great, all of a sudden we're back in sin again, and we're like, how did I end up here again? Because we were not aware of the stuff that was going on in our life, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically. There was a time, 
as a brand new believer, every time I would come home to my apartment, there was always someone sitting on my steps, drinking a 40, smoking a joint, asking me if I wanted to hit, and I'm like, no, I'm good, because I knew I needed to stay sober. had nothing to do with the understanding that this was like the enemy trying to lure me back in. One day I came home with a Christian, and they were like, does that happen to you a lot? I'm like, every day. And they're like, well, that's spiritual warfare. We need to pray. And I'm like, spiritual warfare? What is that? It's funny how every time that we're trying to transition and try to do the right thing, there's always somebody crossing our path that's trying to guide us back to the other way. You know, I had probably four weeks saved. The hottest girl I've ever met in my entire life comes into the tattoo shop and be like, hey, do you want to hang out? Let's smoke a joint. And I'm like, where were you like five weeks ago? Now I'm trying to behave myself. I'm like, ah, this is crazy. And I overcame the fight. Why? Because I didn't want to use, and I knew if I hung out with that girl, I was going to use it. And I'm not going to stop at smoking weed. I'm going to go to the extremes. So there's these times that people come across our path that says, hey, would you like to partake in said thing? And we normally say that would be a great idea. One of the biggest problems I had to learn is how to say no. I'm not good at saying no. Do you want to use drugs? No. Do you want to have sex? No. These are not things that come out of my face. Do you want to hang out and have a good time and let's drink and get wasted and get naked? You're like, no. I don't do those things anymore. Like, that's ridiculous. And now I'm a Christian. I'm supposed to behave like my life is ruined. Like, I can't believe that this Christian stuff is so stupid. But I know for me, and I think that this is why my roots in like Alcoholics Anonymous were so vital for me to, to, to keep this path as a Christian, is because I knew that I could not use. If I used drugs on any level, if I used alcohol on any level, that everything would be out of, out of whack. And I also knew at that stage in my life, that if I hung out with any girl, that I'm going to have sex with her, and that's going to lead me right back to drugs and alcohol, and I'm going to be off to, to the races all over again. So God had this funny way of working this stuff all out, that if I knew that I touched any of those three things, that Jesus is out the window, and I'm off and running and gunning again, and I was so tired of the pain that I was able to say no to those things, and it really had nothing necessarily to do with Jesus at that moment, I was just trying to stay sober and change. However, the enemy was taking the full advantage that I did not understand Jesus at all. And I was just kind of trying to figure it out, had a very limited prayer life, because I didn't think God was listening to me anyway, because I was really bad, and why would God listen to me? Because he's like holy and stuff. So here I am, trying to have a prayer life that I didn't think that he was listening, because like China's got some really big problems, like... And then all of a sudden, prayers started getting answered. However, in the midst of all this craziness, the Holy Spirit, who I didn't think I could hear, was talking to me. And he showed me one verse. Well, really it's two verses, but it's just a few words. It's how to overcome spiritual attacks and spiritual warfare. And it's the fruit of the Spirit. How does that make sense, Tom? Because God is not a liar and God is not a tempter. So 
if I am feeling or hearing something that does not match the fruit of the Spirit, it's not coming from God. Was it me or the devil? It absolutely does not matter because the two of us are pretty entwined. Me, however, on the other hand, I am not in Christ, although I have said my little prayer, and I'm going to church, and I'm reading my little Bible. However, me and Jesus aren't seeing eye to eye because I think he's doing things wrong. Anybody else have that feeling sometimes? So, God showed me that if I'm feeling a certain way, or I'm thinking a certain way, or someone's trying to take me in a certain way, and it doesn't match the fruit of the Spirit, that it cannot be God. And if it's not God at this moment, I just got to stay away from it, because I don't have the ability to resist temptation on a very high level. I'm barely getting through day to day, as it is at that point in my life. So, you know, as we begin to recognize my thinking patterns, is this love? No, it's not love. I want to smash that person. Probably shouldn't smash the person. Now I'm going to walk away. Do I love the person? No, but at least I didn't hit them. Winning. All of a sudden I go through a certain circumstance, and it's really pissing me off. Do I have joy? No. Did I smash a person? No. Do I think that I'll ever be happy? No. However, I'm not letting that temptation take me in that direction that's feeding that angst. Follow me? Winning. All of a sudden, I'm in a new situation. I absolutely do not have peace. I do not like this person. Why am I hanging out with that person? I don't know why I'm hanging out with this person. I don't like that person. Oh, I would rather hang out with somebody I don't like than hang out with somebody that I hate. I did not know how to be alone. And I put myself in chaotic positions over and over and over again because I thought peace was boring. Until I recognized that I would rather have peace than chaos, and then I started to realize that this peace stuff isn't boring, it's kind of cool. Because I'm tired of being in chaos all the time. Winning! Do I have patience on any level? No. Patience is a virtue. I am virtually not patient. Give me it now. A lot of it. Two times, please. I'll take a second helping. How does patience get worked out? In time, great. Some people tell you to pray for patience. Some people tell you not to. I'm on the side that you should pray for patience. Will it suck? It might. Probably will. However, otherwise, if you don't pray for patience, You get patience the long way. It takes you a long time to learn patience. So if you pray for patience, you get all these opportunities to be patient, and patience starts to work out in you a little bit quicker. So because I'm not patient, I prayed for it, patience came. However, patience is something that I have to learn every single day. It's not something I have. It's like something, it's like air. I breathe in, I breathe out. I have patience, now I don't. Who need more patience? Come back, Jesus. And this is something that I have to learn how to interact with certain people because certain people have this ability to steal my breath. I mean, steal my patience. And I have to learn, like, okay, Jesus, I need to pray for grace right now. Lots of it. Winning kindness. I wasn't very kind. Why? Because I stole everything. I took advantage of everyone. And I had to learn how to be a servant. I had to learn how to be kind to people. I had to learn how... I shouldn't say everything I'm thinking. 
That is really hard. I had to learn how to bite my tongue. I had to learn the little saying, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all. Seems so stupid, but however, it taught me how to be kind because there was times that I'm like, I need to tell that person about themselves. Nope, I'm just going to talk to Jesus about them. Maybe Jesus can fix them because I know I can't. All of a sudden, Tom's a little bit more kind than he used to. Not a lot has changed on the inside, but at least on the outside, winning goodness. You know, being good to people, being good to myself. I did not know how to do that. I've lived in this chaotic, dysfunctional lifestyle for such a long time that being good to myself was a process I had to learn how to do, how to take care of myself, how to not expect other people to take care of me. I had to learn how to be a servant. I had to learn how to be, you know, someone that understood boundaries and wasn't manipulative, didn't lie, didn't coerce, didn't control. Learning how to be a good and moral person took time. Being faithful. Faithfulness takes time. Patience. Great. This is awesome. More of that. Wee. The only thing I've ever been faithful to is drugs. You know, not even faithful to sex. I tried to get sex. I would get sex from random people. However, I was really faithful to my addictions. And what started to click for me is that in recovery, it says that you need to try to stay sober 51% if you're trying to use 49. And I understood that I had to try a little bit harder to stay sober, otherwise I'm going to be back in my addictions. You know, So I applied that to Jesus. That it, I chased sin really hard. I mean, Olympic sprinter type chased sin. Good at it. Did it for a long time. Was able to multitask sinning. It was good. However, I realized that that stuff was destroying me. And I had to learn how to be faithful to something other than my addictions. You know, and I wasn't good at that. I was a runner. I wasn't good at having relationships. I would duck out on you. I didn't know how to be bonded to people. I didn't know how to have relationships because everybody in my life was always rejecting and ran away. So faithfulness is something that I had to learn through Jesus that he was faithful to me even though I wasn't able to be faithful to him. And over and over and over again, he started showing me that he was with me, that he was for me, that he was guiding me, that he loved me. And then he started showing me that there was men in the church that were faithful to me, even though the conspiracy theories in my head were telling me that everyone's out to get me. And I started to see couples that would come up to me and say, we're praying for you, we believe in you. And I started to see that through the years... There's been specific people that have been faithful to me in spite of me. And it started showing me the character of people in the church when I thought everybody was just scamming. The fact that people were married for 20, 30, 40, 50 years, I thought it was all a lie. Because I have never seen a healthy marriage in my life until I came to church. Except for my grandparents. But I thought that that was just like old traditions. They just stayed together because that's what they did in the old days. But now I'm watching people have families and that they're faithful to their wives. They're faithful to their husbands. And I was like very curious. Pastor Rick showed me so much about faithfulness. And any of you that know Pastor Rick, he has shown you what faithfulness is as well. 
you know, and watching his relationship with Jesus as a, a baby Christian showed me that there was more to this than I understood, even when I tried to understand it the best that I could. You know, and through that relationship, I learned to be faithful. You know, but faithfulness takes time. Gentleness. <laughs> I was not gentle for a long time. You know, I was very brutally honest. You know, back in the day, we used to talk throwing axes at people. You know, helping them with the sword of the Lord. You know, teaching them truth. But there was no grace. There was no love. You know, and through time, God started to show me that love is more important than truth. That I need to be faithful and graceful with people a long time before I can really speak into their lives on a level that they'll receive me as someone that they will listen to. Why? Because I've first shown them that I love them. You know, and it took me many years, many years of realizing my frustrations and, and, and control issues, you know, that I wanted people to get this, but yet they weren't doing it my way. And I had to release that stuff and be gentle and be loving. And then through that, you can speak some hard truths at times. And then self-control. Self-control is this thing we constantly fight with. One minute it feels like we got it. The next minute it feels like we just want to throw the thing out the window. You know, but as we start to realize that my flesh is a slave to my mind who is then influenced by my spirit, I begin to have more control over the things that I don't want to do. You know, where Paul writes about in Romans, and why can't I stop doing the things that I, I don't want to do? And why can't I do the things that I want to do? I have this sin nature. But that sin nature is completely influenced by the shame and the condemnation that I feel. That if I'm constantly in this state of condemnation, that I don't feel the freedom of Christ, I allow my sin to do whatever it wants to do. I allow my flesh to do whatever it wants to do. But when I start to understand that I'm free in Christ, that He gives me the strength to say no to things that in the moment I want, but I know that it'll hurt me. You know, and that through this, it says the law has been written on our heart. That we begin to fulfill all the Old Testament promises and scriptures necessarily when we begin to learn to love God, love ourselves, because we have sucked at that, and then learn to love other people. You know, when I first read that, it's like love other people as you love yourself. Like if I love other people as I love myself, I'm just going to murder a bunch of people. Because I don't care for myself all that well. You know, hit thy neighbor in the face with a shovel. I thought that should be a commandment. Like, legit. Like, I don't like people. And then God started showing me that through the love that he's given me, that I learned to love him back. And one of the ways that I love him back is through worship. That he melts me sometimes. He melted me tonight as we were singing that last song. That God's presence just came on me and I'm crying. And I just feel his presence. I feel his love. You know, and I try to convey that. I try to show people that there's more to this Jesus stuff than even I understand. That I want to learn. I want to grow. I want to get into his presence more. And that as we let the Holy Spirit guide us and we stop doing the things that we say that we don't want to do. Why? Because I believe that I'm free in Christ. I believe that my sins have been forgiven. I believe that the fruits of the Spirit come out of me. Just as we would plant a fruit tree, it would take time to produce said fruit. 
you know, sometimes we just want, we want it, we want it. And it's like, it takes time for this stuff to feel like we're maturing in Christ, that it doesn't feel like a constant battle all the time. But as we continue to press in and we continue to build a relationship, just like any relationship, it's better in time. You know, and we grow with Christ. That we grow in our understanding of who He is. We grow in our understanding of our ability to communicate with Him through the Holy Spirit. We begin to to grow in our ability to hear Him through the Holy Spirit. Why? Because we are in our Word and we're recognizing His Word as it's spoken to us in various forms. So I just want to encourage you, you know, that it's not about rules. It's about this relationship with Jesus that none of us have it all figured out, that we're constantly learning new things and, and how to grow and change and heal, you know. So I just want to pray for you tonight. But first, I want to take a moment. Just each one of us, just repent of anything that we need to repent of and ask him into whatever area that you've been struggling with the most. And then I'm going to pray. Lord, we just thank you so much. We thank you for your presence, Lord, as it's moved in this room tonight, Lord. We pray that it would come and pierce our heart, Lord, that if there's any of us that don't have you, Lord, that you begin that process of turning our heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Lord, those of us that had you and maybe have slid backwards, Lord, that our heart has been calcified, our heart has been hardened through life experience, Lord, that you would come in and begin to soften it and begin to be that potter that begins to work with us again and leading us back into a deeper, intimate, personal relationship with you. Lord, help us to realize it's not about the rules, but yet there's certain things that when we apply these principles, that promises begin to take place in our life. Lord, help us to resist temptation, but more than that, Lord, help us to be convicted before we do it. Lord, that we're not convicted after we do it because we're listening to you. We're letting you guide us. We're letting you heal us. We're letting you direct our steps. Lord, we thank you so much that you never give up on us, Lord, that you are faithful to us. Help us to grow as the men and women that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen.